0: Hi, everybody. This is Hondo Carpenter from Sports Illustrated's Fan Nation, Las Vegas Raiders Insider Podcast. Join now. Remember, it's also part of the Fans First Sports Network. Join now by my good friend, uh, Johnny Shop. Terrific attorney down in Atlanta. Joins us each week to go around the world of the NFL. He's also the host of the Fans First Sports Network's Spartan Pride Podcast. Johnny, how you doing, buddy?
1: I'm doing real well. Hondo, real well. Nice holiday We're now into the start of the bulk of the summer. So here we go.
0: Here we go. The grind days. The grind days. All right, we got a lot to talk about. Devontae's mouth, Jimmy's foot, the third part of the Raiders schedule, and oh, by the way, the NFL is crawfishing. So, man, we're going to have a good time, and let's get right to it. You know, Devontae Adams sits down for an interview. And says, yeah, you know, sometimes I don't see eye to eye talking about with management. Now, as soon as it went viral, I went out there because I know him. And I put on there, you know, here's what Devante told me. I want to be a Raider. I'm here with the Raiders. I love being a Raider. I told everyone he loves Dave. He loves Josh. I mean, it. it you're all making more of it than what it is. You know, you know this. You're happily married. I'm happily married you can have a disagreement with your spouse and it doesn't mean you want to divorce. And I knew instantly what was going on is he's able to, this isn't the Patriots. I, I know that people say, well, look at all, how much has become of the Patriots. I agree with that, but they love him. He loves them. His voice matters. And he's able to say, yeah, I don't always agree, but man, I love being there and I love being part of it gets blown out of the water. He comes and he corrects it, but your thoughts, John.
1: Well, a busy week for this kind of thing, given the wild scene of what's going on so far with, with DeAndre Hopkins and his future in the NFL, obviously a pretty massive move. So right now there's extra sensitivity to what any player says on a podcast, in an article, et cetera, what any player says in public and maybe even, you know, in semi-private. So I understand the interest. Um, but the expression here seems pretty clear. Devontae Adams seems pretty pleased that he's at an organization that is encouraging some back and forth dialogue between players, coaches, players, and management. And I think the heart of what he was saying was hey, I like it here because I'm allowed to have some input, or at least somebody's going to listen to what I have to say. Not only is that not necessarily the norm around the NFL even today. If you go back even not that many years, it's practically unheard of. So I don't think there's anything here but a positive. At the same time, I understand the extra interest and the wider eyes looking at it because of what just happened with Hopkins and because we are in an era where, honestly, it looks like a lot of players are maybe a couple comments away on a podcast from being at a whole different franchise or out of the league or trade it. So I understand that people are eyes more wide open about it. But in this case, it looks like a player actually providing some praise to the current structure and management that he's playing for.
0: You know, one of the things that I struggle with, and by the way, I can't believe we forgot to do this at the beginning. Our podcasts are just growing, tens of thousands of people watching. And I just want all of you at home to know we appreciate you. Without you, we're just two two guys sitting on Zoom having a busy And we appreciate you guys joining us. And I I thank you for that on this podcast. We're not going to take shots at fans. We're not going to talk down to fans. That's the dumbest thing in the entire world. And, but John, sometimes, and I'm going to tell you for me, the difference in the Raider fan base, as you know, I covered the big 10 for 20 years. And, and one of the things that I've never, first of all, the Raider fan base is massive and man, National media knows we can say anything, we can twist anything, we can do anything, and it's going to go click, 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 click. click. Everyone wanting to read it. Secondly, and this is the organization's fault, the fan base is, is... Uh, I've never seen a fan base so negative in my entire life. Now, the the organization sells them just win, baby. And they've had two coaches that have taken them to the playoffs in the Mark Davis area, and he fired them both. So, I mean, that's on the organization. And you You sell this to your fans, and then that's all they care about. How many times covering teams in the Big Ten like Michigan State did we say, man, I wish they cared. I wish it mattered to them. So I'm not putting this on the fan base, but there's such a level of negativity. Then they hate the Patriots because of the tuck rule game and other issues. So then you start bringing in Patriots. I mean, it's a toxic environment. I don't mean the fans are toxic, just the environment. And I can see why fans are like, oh, no, here's somebody else. Does he want out? But, man, at some point, you know, I'll, I'll give you another one. At the end of the year. Now, I know Max Crosby off camera, on camera. Known him going back to Eastern Michigan. And. Max isn't going to lie. If he doesn't want to answer, he'll just say, no, I don't want to answer. But when I said to him, hey, I want to talk to you about Josh, he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, let's do it. So I put the camera on him and I asked him about Josh McDaniels. He's like, he hasn't lost this locker room. We believe in him. We see the direction we're going. Then I do a long article about the divorce with Derek Carr. And everybody loved Derek. But you know what? It was kind of nice to see that everybody's held to the same level of accountability. People, oh, Max is just saying that Max doesn't feel that way. And I told people you're calling a guy that you allegedly love a liar. And I, I loved what Devonte said. He goes, I'm not going to come out here and lie to you guys. And I, again, sometimes I know we live in a world of the polished athlete who doesn't say anything, but there's some guys that that's not them. They're going to be, they're not disingenuous people. And Devonte Adams and Max Crosby, are, in my opinion, the best players at their position in the NFL, which puts them in a very elite group. And they're both two of the most genuine people I know. Now, instantly, as soon as I say it, why are you disrespecting Josh Jacobs? Why are you respecting Colton Miller? Who are two supers? They're two stars, but they're not the best at what they do. And I think when the best are that genuine It's a value to the franchise. Would you speak maybe to that, that people aren't used to seeing players that are honest?
1: Yeah, they're not. And I think a lot of that goes by recent design by the Patriots, at least on the AFC side, because they won so much. What I think we went through was the closing of an era, the closing of an era with uh, traditional media, traditional player availability. And that era is gone. And the new era kind of began, and you see a lot of different players in different ways, a different podcast, not maybe as much uh, with video clips, unless they're really damaging on things like Instagram and, and Twitter and TikTok, but we're into a new age. And so there's more interest. And um, there's honestly, there's there's more people looking for players around the NFL to slip and fall on a banana peel and make a big mistake like Hopkins may have made out there in Arizona not long ago. So there's that there's and also an interesting part of the Raider fan base that you have to step back a bit to take a look at. We're still talking about a franchise that was a bit nomadic for decades past and a lot of the fans still remember transition from Oakland to Los Angeles, back to Oakland and then to Las Vegas and um you know it's understandable that some people especially after the lack of commitment by the city of Oakland to uh subsidize and or support their pro sports teams or all of them as it looks like yet another may be headed east there's a little bit of a sore spot and sensitive spot there so that that's understandable too the fan base feels probably like it's been a little bit um, abused. tumbled around you know yeah they've been they've been rolling around in a, in a tumble dry you know um Oakland's always going to be a part of the Raider franchise, for sure. Is Los Angeles always going to be part of the Raider franchise? I don't know. It probably depends how you look at it and how long you've been a fan. For a lot of folks, it's not even in the equation at all. So I understand the sensitivity, but I enjoy, and a lot of us enjoy, actually hearing what players see, feel, and think. And some of us um, can appreciate that for what it is, and not necessarily take it as some kind of attack on an organization. While at the same time, players of arguably lesser character or more hubris around the NFL have maybe said and done some crazy stuff at times where I almost, you hear them at the end of them talking. It's like, I don't think this guy's going to make it too much longer, whether it's a quarterback who's not a starter on his team saying that, you know, it's going to be him and Peyton Manning and, they're going to be at the very top of the sport. Um, who's now a TV commentator, or whether it's another guy? Wait, wait, who like, are
0: you referring to, John?
1: Robert Griffin III, if you can recall. Well, uh, I know. I was out. making a joke. Yeah, well, that's who. That's who I was thinking of. Is that is that who you follow? when he said, "Hey, it's 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 me and and Peyton Manning. Now I'm at the top of the sport, and the Washington franchise was like, he's not even going to start for, us. for us. So it's a wild-eyed. Seen anytime you hear somebody talking, we've got to evaluate who's it coming from, and how genuine is it coming across, and are they just talking on the? It's not that they're just talking on the surface, but are they talking about a specific topic, or are they saying one thing and meaning something so much bigger? And when that happens, that's when guys get in trouble, like Robert Griffin, like Carson Wentz, uh, like Hopkins and probably like another guy or two before we even get through training camp. Somebody somewhere is going to slip and fall on that verbal banana peel, but Max Crosby and Devontae Adams do not appear to be those kind of guys, and that is probably going to make things easier for the Raiders to come together and actually put their best foot forward in the coming season. It's a lot easier to do it when everybody's on the track going the same way than when a guy's maybe trying to get off the track and look at it or take a left hard out of an organization.
0: You know, what's funny to me, John is, you know, I've covered so many teams in my career and top to bottom, this is one of the best locker rooms I've ever been around. Really good guys. Um, Very like, you know, we talk about Josh Jacobs and Colton Miller, two of the best, not the best, but two of the best at their position in the NFL. And again, a lot like, Max and Devante. They're going to speak their mind. You don't have to parse it. You don't have to read between the lines. And I feel bad because this is a great fan base. It is a great fan base. Now, I think, and boy, is this going to get me a ton of hate mail. I think that Josh and Dave are moving the organization forward. But sometimes when you see media that Well, it's easier to just take the negative route because everyone's going to click, 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 click. I feel bad because there are times I feel like the media lets them down. And then there are times I feel the organization lets them down. You know, my job as a media member, I'm not there to be your cheerleader. But I'm also not there to be the one throwing a wet rag on every time you start a little fire. My job is to just tell the people what's going on. If it's personal opinion, I'll say, this is my personal opinion. And then it's also my job then to tell people, hey, this is good. I I just feel bad because when it is a rabid fan base like this, people know how to play them. And I feel bad for the fan base.
1: Yeah. And that's understandable. And to be fair, since they've been out in Las Vegas, there has been some serious adversity on and off the field and around the organization what that may end up doing is kind of pulling some of the players and the team closer together at some point. If all goes well from here, you'll probably look back and say, okay, the off season before the 2023 year was when things actually ended up coming together. And there can be some benefit to that. Uh, From the fans perspective, it's understandable that they're a little bit gun shy and they've got their eyes wide open and they're a little extra sensitive That's totally understandable. And as you know, when it comes to wins and losses, if there's more wins than losses and the season's going well, that stuff's going to fall right off. How many times have we talked
0: about over the 14 years we've been doing this together, winning covers a multitude of sins?
1: (laughs) Yeah, it seems to apply to the hundreds of teams that you've covered, uh, pro level and college level. It applies almost every single time. Just win, baby. Yeah. Very <laughs> few instances where would it, it would not be okay. But I do understand the fans' concern. Um, and I would expect that things are probably going to quiet down and settle out around the Raiders organization, at least what's been saying, uh, what will be said publicly, only because I don't think there's that much more to discuss from this point yeah. to when they actually continue to ramp up out of OTAs and into camp.
0: Now we got so much Raider content today but I want to go to the Hopkins cuz I thought that was fascinating. Give us your take on it.
1: Well, Hopkins is stuck in a or was stuck in a really iffy franchise in too many ways. There was a lot of focus on them last year because of Hard Knocks in season and there should have been. What happened in Mexico was absolutely unbelievable. Now, of course, it wasn't much on hard knocks because they've got control of what goes on there. But what happened there is insane. Unfortunately, uh, got a general manager that appeared to be losing control, appears to have poor behavior in Mexico, and says or supports the idea that it was that guy, that offensive line coach. You want to blow your building up. That's how you do it. Litigation is still ongoing between that offensive line coach who was Wrongfully blamed, wrongfully fired. Said, "Hey, this was absolutely wrong. You violated my contract here, here, and there. I am suing you guys for damages." So once that began and goes over here, I don't know how you could beat DeAndre Hopkins and not think I got to find a way out of this place, or maybe hang a piece of fruit that suggests I'd be good to go to see if I can maybe trick the owner or trip the owner into saying we got to get him out of here.
0: Someone I'm I'm asked not- you.
1: Yeah, I don't think what he did was intentional, necessarily. But what I think he did was probably really productive if he'd have any shot to win a Super Bowl or even play for one. Because the Arizona Cardinals, they don't appear to be going anywhere until they have a different owner. That's my thought.
0: I would not want to play for the Cardinals whatsoever. All right, so let's go to a different angle. Um, We talked about a lot. Now I want to get to Jimmy's foot. The Raiders signed him. They knew what his injuries were. And then they sign him in March. He had surgery. It was not a, Now I'm not a doctor. And I didn't stay at a holiday and express last night. My wife's a nurse. I could have had her explain it, but um, it was more of a going in and cleaning everything up, making sure scar tissue, everything was fine, that the surgery went good. Uh, I talked with several doctors about it and they had all told me when he signed that they didn't all, but two of the three, Oh yeah. He's probably, they're probably going to go in and do another surgery to make sure it's all cleaned up. These were doctors who work in that field with pro athletes. So I was not surprised. It was not a, I, I don't think it was a secret. And he, he didn't play a lot of people. Oh, great. We go sign a quarterback to camp practice. We're not even at training camp yet. I mean, we're still three months away from games. I think this is a nothing burger. I, I cause I now in, in fairness, I had talked to doctors who perform multiple surgeries on pro athletes, so they had told me I didn't expect to see him out there. Your thoughts on Jimmy's foot?
1: I'm not sure it's a very big deal because the word surgery means different stuff. There's a difference between procedures that are considered surgery and what most of us think when we're talking about surgery. Most of us think we're talking about a guys going under anesthesia for a repair of a A new injury or something that really needs immediate attention to be fixed this may have been one of those procedures like you mentioned that's a cleanup where you may have a lower level or less time in anesthesia you may have less recovery you're not necessarily looking for a big ligament or something to heal it may be more the nearly manual removal of scar tissue so i do not think this is something to be concerned about when you look at the idea Of these guys, obviously, they've got to play their best. They've got to be at their best. They've got to be as fast as they can. You think about the modern technique and surgical options in medicine. I don't think this is something to be concerned about. If it were an injury that we were not aware of, if it were an area of his body that hadn't been worked on before, I'd be a little more concerned about it. But given the time of year, I don't see any reason to be concerned that he's not uh, out doing full physical activity. Doesn't need to be yet. At the same time, it does remind you that, Hey, remember what was on this meal ticket when we purchased it, as far as his injury history and as far as the areas that he may be vulnerable. But again, we talked about it before. I think it was a reasonable roll of the dice. If the Raiders thought this could potentially be an injury, or an issue that would knock him out of being able to play at the starting level, I don't think they would have signed him. So I don't think there's anything to worry about here.
0: All right, John, you may remember that we've been going through each week a, a quarter of the Raiders schedule. Last week we finished on Monday night, October 30th, the, them playing the lines at Ford field. I had them at three and five, you had them at four and four. So let's get right to this week's going through the third part of the schedule on Sunday, November 5th, the New York G men come to Allegiance Stadium. And I think the Raiders get a win here. I think that moves them to, again, they were three and five coming in. I think it moves them to four and five. I think they get the G men. Listen, Daniel Jones played exponentially better and give them all the credit in the world. But I do not believe that the Raiders are as bad as people think they are. It amazes me. The year before, look how great we were. We won a lot of close games. Then last year, look how bad we are. We lost a lot of close games. Well, those flip on a dime. Those flip on a, on a mistake, those flip. And they have brought more people. Jimmy G at one, there's more stability at quarterback. And I don't mean that Derek wasn't stable. It's stability in the scheme. I think they beat the G men and go to four and five. What do you think, Johnny?
1: When you look at the giants, you look at a team, I think that probably overachieved a bit last year. And, Jones did play well and effectively at times, but I'm looking for a pretty big adjustment in teams that are defending Jones. And I want to see how that adjustment goes during the first part of this year. I think come that point in the schedule, we're kind of have a much better feel for how effective Daniel Jones can be. And I actually see the bottom pretty low. I'm not sure how much better things can get for him from last year. I don't know that he's a I don't think you can play at an all-pro level, but I think the floor could be pretty low. So I like the Raiders in this one because I'm not sure the Giants are a lot. I just I don't I think the Giants are more like the Giants we saw before 2022 than the Giants we saw in 22. I don't think they take off from here. I think they regress a little bit in 23. I like the Raiders at home that week.
0: Right. November 12th, the next week. They're getting a double dose of the teams of Gotham. Income the New York Jets. Jets, 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 Jets. Now, listen, I like Robert Sala. I think he's a really solid coach. He's defensive-minded. I like the Jets team. I am not a fan of Aaron Rodgers. I said it when there was time when when it looked like he had a chance of coming here. You put $60 million into him. It really limits you as far as what you can put around them. Uh, I know there are some things around them. not saying there's not. But I don't think the Raiders are as bad as people think they are. And I don't think the Jets, because, listen, I know people who've worked in the organization and been in the locker room and played with, with Aaron. Every one of them, complimentary of his physical skills. Every one of them not a fan of the man and his impact. I mean, I had one player say to me, I can't tell you how many times players want to just go punch him because it's never his fault. He goes and has a press conference and it's, well, you know, my receivers are young or my offensive line missed this. It's never him. So, uh, again, I think that far into the season, the Raiders get him. I think the Raiders improve to five and five. Now, going into this game, I thought they'd be 4 and 5, you thought they'd be 5 and 4. I think they end at 5 and 5 after this game. Your thoughts.
1: What you describe with Aaron Rodgers is is pretty consistent going back through most of his career. I don't know how this gets much better for him or the Jets. I look at it like this is a I look at it like this is a one-shot deal. To me, it looks like Rodgers is going to take one shot to get into another Super Bowl, and that's this year. I'm I'm really not sure how much he plays, if at all, beyond there. I do like the Jets' defense a lot. I believe this may end up being the best Jets' defense under Robert Sala. So I like the Jets in this game in a woulda, coulda, shoulda kind of loss for the Raiders. I don't think they are going to eliminate those. And it's just so remarkably close week by week, as you mentioned, in the NFL. If you look at the average margin of victory in the NFL, I thought last year at, you know, there was a little more spread than, than we've seen necessarily in the past sometimes. It's usually really close. Most of the NFL games are decided by less than one score. We already kind of know that going in. This is going to be a big stage. This is set up to be a national game, the Sunday night game of the week. A lot of eyes on the Jets, a lot of eyes on the Raiders. I like the Jets here in an ugly one because of that defense. All right. So what
0: the point is we both took different routes and ended up at five and five. Then we come in John to Sunday, November 19th. They head down to hard rock in Miami. I think they fall five to six and they're going to be five and six.
1: Early games are still tricky. I don't care what you do to prepare early games for those West coast teams are tricky. They happen fast. You look at it on November 19th, you think weather's probably not going to be much of an issue. But it is Miami, and let's say it's a little warmer and a little more humid than expected. That kind of could become a factor for a team that's based all the way in the desert.
0: Okay, but wait a minute. But the heat's not going to be, it's the humidity.
1: Correct. That's the thing. It's the humidity. I don't think this sets up well for the Raiders. And I don't know what we have in the Dolphins. They've got such an interesting and peculiar head coach who is rolling down the highway in a separate lane, but he feels, he looks pretty comfortable in his skin. He's on his own lane. He's got his own unique connection with the players. There are a number of young head coaches across the league. We see it. This guy has his own way of doing things and it's going along pretty well right now. It's not going along great. It's not going along horrible. I don't know what to make of him. I hope that we see a healthy tug-a by Loa for the 2023 season. I don't think this one sets up well for the Raiders. On paper, there's too many problems. I like the Dolphins by like four. Again, tight.
0: All right. Then we come to Sunday, November 26th, and it's at Allegiant Stadium. The Chiefs come in, and I think that they will go out with a win, and the Raiders are five and seven again. I, I think the Raiders are better than people think that they are. I I, I have been saying it. I, I don't think the offensive line is as terrible as people think. They had Greg Van Roten, which I think was a very important piece to add. They have, you know, McClendon Curtis, the, the young undrafted free agent, who I think is going to be a star. But I don't get um, – at five and seven, trust me, the panic will be underway. But I as you'll see next week as we finish up the, the the year I mean I think they're going to end up pretty well but five and seven the Chiefs are just simply the best they're and and they're the best in the league they're the best in the business been there for a while and they are what they are five and seven
1: so after Turkey holiday if you will a weekend dominated by football this is a big one obviously. It's always going to be when you play the Chiefs, if you're the Raiders, it's always going to be more if either team is uh, near the top in class of the sport. This would be the biggest win for Josh McDaniels. You could probably make an argument. Should they win that game? I don't think they're there yet either. I actually think the Chiefs are going to probably have a better regular season this year and not basically get tripped up or or caught from from behind um, in the playoffs and not end up going to the Super Bowl again. But this is one where you're looking for how competitive is it. I don't see any sign that it would be anything but competitive. This is not a blowout game looking at you'd be really hard pressed to expect a blowout in in this game. As you kind of hinted towards, it's a great rule of thumb in the NFL to expect things to be closer than further apart, because that's the nature of the NFL, the most competitive sports league that we've got, arguably in the world and set up to be tight the whole time, really. I like the Chiefs in this one, but it would be the biggest win of the Josh McDaniels era, and it wouldn't shock me if the Raiders could pull a little bit of a rabbit out of a hat on this one. Wouldn't shock me either. From a broader picture, what I'm looking for is, yeah, I think it's going to probably be a loss but how close and how competitive it is. If it is competitive, if the Raiders are engaged, competitive for 60 minutes and have a chance to win, of course that sets up better for a big December than if you start seeing people kind of disengage and you start wondering, is this player maybe checking out a bit or have they maybe lost Mm -hmm. hope and inspiration that they can make a push for the playoffs in December? If that happens, uh, then that panic button, maybe start looking for it.
0: Yeah, I think if they played this game, that particular game, in Allegiant Stadium 10 times, I think the Chiefs win seven. So that certainly doesn't mean it's a massive upset. I mean, a massive upset's when you think, okay, if they play 100 times, you'll win one. If they played 10, I think the, the Raiders would win three. That, to me, is not a huge upset, but it is an interesting factor. All right, before we get to our last subject, I got one I want to throw in here. So as you know, throughout the years, you and I have talked a lot about things I learned from people in the league. I was talking to a friend of mine who works for the national football league. And we were talking about parody. And it was very fascinating to me because he mentioned the fact uh, they want parody. Cause I said to him, doesn't it hurt them when they've got, you know, a million teams fighting to who's going to be eight, nine and eight, and who's going to be eight and nine. And he laughed. He goes, no, because if teams are just out of it, you lose those markets. People aren't watching. He goes, you don't understand. Fans hate parody. We get that. We love it. Because it keeps them engaged. The NFL, in their way of, and I don't mean cheating, so don't hear that. But the way they've manipulated the schedules and manipulated salary caps And the way that they have forced parity, it's brilliant. And quite frankly, I think the NHL, I think the NBA, and I think Major League Baseball should all look at the NFL because it is the big dog and it's not even close. And I think they should be looking at the NFL saying, wait a minute, what are they doing that we're not? Why are they always staying on top and we're not? And I'm sorry. Parody, none of us like it, but it is exactly why the NFL is working. Should the other leagues look, and what are your thoughts on what the NFL's done?
1: Absolutely, uh, none of us like the parody, but we all actually love it. The yeah. secret sauce in the NFL, expanding as it has from the early '90s when back when Sports Illustrated suggested, "Hey, you know this may be in some trouble," is that it is uh, socialized or engineered for nearly every team to have a chance to compete every year. You mentioned the schedule, the draft, the salary cap. What they have somehow been able to digest, and I don't think it went over easily with ownership when it was first presented by Pete Rosell and then Paul Tagliabue, was we can grow this pie exponentially with a stronger foundation, wider, bigger, and obviously deeper than we probably ever would have imagined if we have it set up, that each team has a chance to compete and we are going to limit the resources and put a salary cap and we are going to design a schedule and we are going to run the draft the way we run it to try to encourage that and 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 basically bring down the ceiling a little bit, but bring up the floor. All you have to do, and fans are remarkably smart and capable, and I know uh, thousands of you have done it, is take a look at the baseball salaries. Just pull up the list of the baseball salaries in the teams. And it's often the case uh, that you look at the Dodgers' salary and you can take two other teams below it that are playing a game and and it's not reaching the Dodgers. And that's shocking and it's discouraging and it's nearly impossible for Baltimore, Kansas City, Arizona, Miami, Tampa, although they've had a great start. How do you call that an even playing field. The idea of professional sports and really the best professional sports are ones where anything can happen and everyone's starting on a pretty even playing field. I can't even out your preparation. I can't even out your athletic skill. There's some things that we can't even out. But if we're starting a, a golf tournament that's 72 holes, everybody's starting at zero, or we're starting a track race, everybody's starting with the same opportunity to run the same distance to win the race, to take the checkered flag if we're racing cars. The NFL is set up in that way better than any other pro sport. Of course, the pro sport should have been copying and amending and using the NFL as a model of what to do. They should have been doing it for decades. Some have done a little better than others. Just take 1994 or so, look at where the NHL and the NBA were. Look where they've gone and some of the reasons why. And you're going to trail that to follow the NFL model a little more. You know, there was a point in time maybe where the NBA could have got way out of hand, could have turned more into somewhat of a a Premier League like we see in soccer in Europe, where the money disparity from team to team would have been way too big, kind of like you see in Major League Baseball. But NBA owners figured out that that's not the right thing to do. The right thing to do and the best thing for fans as well, although they don't like the parity, is my team's got a chance every single year. When you look at the NFL right now, as we sit here in the early part of the summer, if you're really honest, how many teams can you absolutely strike out as will not win, could not possibly win if they had a great season, you know, could not win the Super Bowl? Well, there's probably half the teams in the sport that you could say, well, if everything went their way, I suppose this is possible. And then you expand that on how many teams are absolutely no chance to make the playoffs. That's when the list gets really darn small. And I think that is the secret sauce in why the NFL has expanded, has firmed up its base and has hundreds of thousands of people coming to watch players be selected because they all have a chance to win that year. It could be our year. It could be the Vikings year this year. It could be... The 49ers year this year, and believe me, I'm sure they feel like it should have been their year last year. It could be the Jets year in theory. That's the magic of the NFL. Nobody else in pro team sports has it.
0: I just grabbed my power rankings because there's only nine teams that I say no chance. Carolina, Atlanta, Indianapolis, Rams, Chicago, Commanders, Texans, Buccaneers,
1: Cardinals. It would be a supreme shock if any of those won the NFL, uh, won the the Super Bowl. But literally all the rest of them, it would not be an unbelievable, like, we have no chance. That's the secret.
0: Yeah, John, totally agree with you. I thought that was a great subject. All right. Last thing we want to talk about today is safety, because we've talked in previous podcasts about changing the rules. Wow, has there been blowback on this one. Talk about this one. Yeah. And this is where they've got to get a Zara football, and they've yeah. got to get get a guy. When um, Roger Goodell's contract runs out in March of twenty seven, they need to do. And and I applaud Jim Irsay because he's the one that put this out there. You know, let's get a guy who will be the CEO, but then let's get a guy who handles the football issues because this thing is blown up now. And it, talk about it, will you?
1: Yeah, this is a obviously highly skilled sport beyond anyone's imagination, even 50 years ago, people breaking down tapes and times and angles and perspectives and different views and angles and special teams are really special in a lot of ways. So you've got to have input from the people who know it best. There's no way in the world, any of us outside or a lot of folks even inside the game know the value and the impact of these changes, the kickoff, like a John Harbaugh would. He's one of the experts in the world at special teams. So if you take him out of being the Ravens head coach, you would want his input into making such a change. What are some of the things that could happen that maybe weren't considered or weren't weighed heavily enough by the people that made that decision this time? I'm surprised that there's this much blowback. And I find it a little bit concerning because this is not the kind of blowback that You would have wanted to hear what you really would have wanted to hear as a player, as a fan of the game, or as a coach, and be honest with you, probably as someone involved in team organization, you would have wanted to hear, you know what? We don't like this rule because of this reason and that reason, but we were listened to, we were heard, we were understood. They weighed our concerns for, Hey, this may actually make things less safe. And we understand why they chose to go forward with this rule. We haven't heard that yet. We've heard coaches and other groans from around the league suggesting that this may have been a decision made by people who didn't totally understand the topic. And this may be um, like the dog chasing the car type of thing. This may have some consequences that are negative, And you may end up. My concern would be, what if you get to October 1st and it's pretty clear that this kickoff rule didn't work and you're stuck with it for the bulk of the season, then what? So when I look at this from a broader perspective, it's early relative to when Goodell would likely be replaced, but this is the strongest support so far for having such a football SAR, somebody that can study and get input from the people around the sport who know it best. Like a John Harbaugh, that's really how you would want to apply knowledge to resolve a problem that is apparent. The problem is we can't run kickoffs like we have been running them. We just can't do it. Okay, how do we solve it? Well, you start probably by getting the best input you can and recognizing that John Harbaugh and others maybe know this better than some of the folks that are throwing out ideas and selling them and getting people to approve them.
0: Totally agree with you, John. He is the one and only, the immortal one, the great John Shop. He's part of as well as me with the Fans First Sports Network. I, of course, have the Las Vegas Raiders Insider Podcast. He has the Spartan Pride Podcast, and I'm proud to be part of Sports Illustrated's Fan Nation. Thanks for joining us, man. We went around the league, tons of Raiders stuff. Thanks, Johnny. We'll see you next week, brother. Good stuff. This has been a Las Vegas Raiders Insider production on the Fans First Sports Network. whoa. whoa.